So looking at Judges chapter 2, and I entitled this, uh, A Generation That Forsakes God. So looking at verses, um, being in chapter 2 and looking at verses 6 through 15, I'll go ahead and re- uh, read right there, and then we'll get into our study. It says, and when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at Timothath, Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim and on the north side of Mount Giresh. And all that generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asterisk. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all, all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity. As the Lord had said, as, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Um, always for your word. We know these are some tough passages to look at, especially as we um, examine our hearts, even in our own lives with these passages. But may you teach us your word, Lord. May you illuminate our hearts. May you illuminate our minds. And may you speak to us. And Lord, if anything remotely wise comes from me as I share your word, may you get all the glory in Christ Jesus. But again, Lord, speak through me and may you speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, right here, as we look at this, these passages of the scripture tonight, We'll be looking at the nation of Israel, and as we look at the nation of Israel in these chapters, we'll see a nation that's trapped in the cycle of sin. And this right here becomes the theme of the book of Judges, where we see that a nation of Israel, it goes through a constant pattern of rebellion against the Lord, breaking the Lord's commandments, and then following the practices of the nations around them, which the Lord told them not to practice or to do. Because once they fell into those practices, they began to make a pattern of them, they made a habit of them. And when the nation began to practice that pattern, the pattern of the nations around them, the Lord would actually remove his protection from them. And the people ended up reaping what they have sown because of their sinful practices and rebellion. And what happens is the Lord allows their enemies and the nations that hate them to oppress them and harass them because of it. And not only would they be oppressed and harassed, but they would be enslaved at times as well. And after several years of enduring the hardship, oppression, and the slavery that they were experiencing by their enemies, the people of Israel would realize what they have done is wrong. They would have a wake-up call and come to the realization that, you know what, I'm going through what I'm going through because we've sinned against God, and we haven't obeyed his commandments, and we haven't kept his word. And we need to remember scriptures like this, like it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. And that's what would happen with the nation of Israel. They would practice the deeds of the flesh. They would practice the deeds of the nations around them and do the things what they were strictly told not to do. And because they did not follow what the Lord told them, 
to do when they came into the land to possess the land of Canaan, um, the Lord told them that this would happen to them. And you can see what the Lord says in Judges chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3, as we back up a little bit. And looking at Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Beckham and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, you shall not, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And this is what happened right here to the nation of Israel. They broke the covenant that God had with them. God did not break his covenant or his word to them, but the people broke their covenant and their word to God. And they didn't follow what the Lord had told them to do. And as a result, the nations that were there in the land, the Lord did not drive out for them. They were like a thorn in their side. Basically, they became a continuous problem to them, a constant problem and annoyance to them. And as I said before, the nation of Israel, it began to make a habit and make a practice of the behaviors of the previous nations that the Lord had drove out. And the people of Israel, they got caught up in those practices as well. And it became, like I said, it ensnared them. And it ended up destroying them and actually ended up crippling the relationship with God. So you may ask yourself this question. Why is God so strict about staying away from the practice of these nations? And what were the practices of these people or the nations before them? And that's a good question. That's a good question to ask yourself. Because when you look at the Canaanite culture and the people that were in the land before, and you study the other people that were in the land of Israel before them, you begin to see that those people had a brutal and wicked culture that frequently engaged in the worship of idols, which involved sexual orgies for worship and other incredibly immoral behavior. Because when you look at the book of Leviticus chapter 18, if you're taking notes, this is pretty important right here. It provides a list of sins that Israel was to avoid at all costs. And why? Because this is what the nations did before them. This is what they had practiced before them. These, these sins that they practiced were done on a regular basis. And some of these sins that are listed in Leviticus 18 that were practiced were incest. They were child sacrifice. They were homosexuality. They were bestiality. And that's just to name a few things that were going on. And all these sins, like I said before, they were regularly practiced by the people of Canaan and the other people in the land around them. And that is why the Lord said in his word, if you look at Leviticus chapter 18, verses 24 to 27, the Lord says this, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations, the men of the land have done who were before you. And thus the land is defiled lest the land vomit you out as when you defile it, as it is vomited out of the nations that were before you. So basically what's being said right here by the Lord is that the nations, these are how these nations behave. This is how the people acted before Israel came into the land. And what's he saying right here in this patch is, is that when a nation practices these type of behaviors, as I just told you about, he doesn't approve of them. The land becomes what? It becomes defiled. It's very defiled. And that word defiled, it's a strong word. Because defile means to corrupt or to make unclean or impure. It speaks of gross uncleanness or gross immorality. So again, the Lord says that he personally in that passage will visit the land and punish the nation that were in the land before Israel, driving them out for its gross sins 
Because the land is what? It's defiled, he's saying. And because the land is defiled, the people are going to be vomited out of the area. And because of their practices. And that, again, that's some strong language right there. And that's pretty serious language when the Lord says what? I'm going to vomit you out of this land. Because you picture somebody vomiting. I don't mean people to picture it, but <laughs> you just think about that. Being vomited out of the land because of the practices. So we need to remember why the nation of Israel was originally chosen by God. And if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 and through 5, it gives us some insight into the mind of God and why he chose the nation of Israel. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 through 5, and I'll go ahead and read it for you. It says, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your own your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So this right here is one of the reasons that God chose the nation of Israel. It was because of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He also chose the nation of Israel to be a people through whom Jesus Christ would come as well. The Messiah would come. The Son of God was to be born and save us from our sin and death. Because if you remember back in the book of Genesis chapter 3, God did what? He first promised the Messiah after Adam and Eve fell into sin. And God later confirmed that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that Abraham, of all the families of the earth, would be blessed. And you see that promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where it says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's promise to Abraham was that what? That the Messiah, Jesus, would come from his lineage. And this is one of the reasons why God chose Israel to be a special people to him. God didn't have to choose the nation of Israel to be a special people to him, but he decided to do that anyway. And the Messiah, Jesus, had to come from some nation. It had to come from somewhere. But so God chose Israel for that purpose. But here's another thing, too, when I was studying this passage. God also chose Israel for another reason. Not just for the sole reason of producing the Messiah, but his desire was for the nation that they would go and teach others about him, teach him about his word, that they would be a light bearer to other nations. Because Israel was to be a nation of priests, a nation of prophets and missionaries to the, the world. God's intent for Israel is to be a distinct people. A nation was ruled by God with no earthly king. That was the original intent. A nation who pointed other nations and people towards God. A nation who was governed and ruled and blessed by God, different from all the other nations around them. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important that the nation of Israel didn't get involved or follow the practices of the people that were before them, the nations around them. They were to be set apart. They were be, to be holy unto the Lord. For you even read in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, where this is speaking of the nation of Israel, it says this. It's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So when the nation of Israel would fall into idol worship and other pagan practices around them, practicing those deeds of the nations, it would break the Lord's heart. It would break his heart. And as a result, what do you think would happen? God would lift his hand of protection from these people because they would turn away from him because they were following the practices of the nations. And he would allow them to be oppressed and harassed by their enemies, even for years. Later, the people, after dealing with this so uh, for so long, they would cry out to the Lord for a deliverer. 
And the Lord would hear their prayer, and he would respond by sending judges. And the Hebrew word for judges literally just means deliverers or saviors. God would send judges to set the people free from their sins. So that's my intro right there for tonight. Um, if we're going to look at it. Like I said, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. So beginning at verse 6 in Judges chapter 2, it says, And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timath Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim and on the north side of Mount Gish. So basically in this passage right here, you're going to see a recap of the death of Joshua. And there are a few things that are pretty important that you get from this passage. First, we see what? That the people of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the elders who went outlived Joshua. And that's awesome to see right there because Joshua had a great influence on the people. Joshua was a, was a man of God, a warrior for God, a man of great faith. Even from the time he was a young man, the Bible stated that Joshua did what? He lived to be 110 years old. And when you think about it too, Joshua was one of among two people from the Israelite nation who were born in Egypt that was able to reach the land of Canaan and possess it besides Caleb. And think about that for a second. Joshua was born a slave in Egypt. And after that, you know, he survives leaving Egypt and then goes into what? The wilderness. And he still keeps his faith over there, even when other people are around him doing what? Not keeping the faith, not obeying the commandments of God. He kept his faith. And he survives living in the wilderness for over 40 years when that generation dies out. The other Israelites have died in the wilderness over there because of their unbelief and unfaithfulness to God. So we see that Joshua did what? That he kept the faith even to the end, even when others were unfaithful. And that's amazing to see because it was of his faithfulness to God that he was able to enter the land. And there are many instances in the Bible that Joshua showed strong faith and the faithfulness to God because Joshua fought many battles and he kept the faith in God, especially when it was needed. But here's the thing. Joshua was not a great leader because he fought many battles. That's not what it was. He wasn't a great leader just because he was out there fighting. He wasn't out there relying on himself, relying on his own strength, relying on his own intuition. But one of the key things that made Joshua a successful leader, one of the things that made him strong in the faith was that he did what? And you could see it throughout his life is that he spent time in God's word. He spent time in God's presence and he meditated on his word. That's where his strength came from. Spending time with the Lord in prayer. In the book of Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it says this about Joshua. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp. And this is talking about Moses, but it says, but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. And again, this is one of the key things that made Joshua strong. It was his time spent with the Lord in prayer. And that's where you receive strength. Never forget that you're going to receive strength when you spend time with the Lord in his word, in his presence and in prayer. Even when Moses, you see right here, he left to speak with the people of Israel, Joshua would do what? He stayed and he fellowshiped with God. Recently, we had our men's retreat up in the mountains of Oak Glen up in Ukaipa a few weeks ago. And it was a blessing to be up there. It was a great time. I loved enjoying the time with the men up there. And we were being built up in the Lord. 
um, with the brothers up there. And we're all drawing close to the Lord. And our theme for the retreat up there, it was out of First Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. And it says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And as I was sharing and teaching to the men up there, one of the things that I shared was that King David was also a warrior for God. But before David was a warrior, here's what I told the men. He was a worshiper. He was a worshiper of God. He was a worshiper and a warrior. And that's where our hearts truly need to be as men and women of God. We need to be a worshiper first before we can be a warrior. Because there's a lot of people out there that want to be warriors, but they, they're not worshipers. They're not worshipers of God. They want to be used of God. They want to be used in a mighty way and see the miracles in their life and see things take place. But here's the thing. They don't want to spend time in God's word later. They don't want to spend time in his presence. And you cannot be great in the kingdom of God if, if you're not going to spend time with the Lord, if you don't have a heart for the things of God and for the things of the Lord. If your life is only focused on yourself and on your self-interest or your career, you're never going to have any victory like that. It's never going to happen. And like I was teaching the men, I said, because David knew the secret of his strength. He knew the secrets of the battles and why he won. David knew it was the Lord who had fought for him and had done great things and accomplishments through him. David knew that it wasn't his own strength or ambition. And in order to fight battles, in order to become a warrior, you need to first be a worshiper. And that's where the true strength lies in any great man or woman of God. It is there that we're first a worshiper and then a warrior for God. You become a warrior for God by being a worshiper. Like I said, being in prayer, spending time with the Lord in his presence. And that can look practically by even when you get into your car and you're leaving and you're going to work and you put on some worship music or you're just praying. You're just seeking the Lord. That's how you can do it just even practically. Because again, there's going to be a lot of things that come up against you in life, struggles, trials, hardships, things that are just not going to make sense in your life. And you're wondering like, hey, what's going on? And the only way you're going to win those battles is by trusting the Lord and by being a worshiper of God during those times and just focusing on the Lord. And whenever I'm facing a difficult time for myself or whenever I'm going through a trial or hardship, and I was sharing this too, I often just turn to the Lord in prayer. And like I said, I'll put on worship music because worship is where the battles won. Never forget that. That's where the battles won. It's through worship because when you're focused on God and you're focused on his goodness, he's going to see you through. And you're not going to be focused on the circumstances that are around you and what's going on to throw you off course and get you all bummed out. You redirect your focus back onto him and onto his word, and it changes your perspective on the situation and what you're dealing with around you. And it also changes your thinking when you think about that as well. So again, when I look at Joshua, I see what? He's a great leader who had great faith in God, but he was a worshiper and then a warrior. And again, this is one of the ways that the Lord prepared him for leadership by, is by spending time with him. Because he went out and fought many battles and he was filled with the spirit and with the wisdom of God. But that didn't happen by doing what? Going out and doing your own thing. That didn't happen like that. It happened by what? Staying in God's presence, meditating on his word. When he says you shall meditate on my word day and night and then you shall make your way prosperous. As it says in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, this is talking about Joshua. It says, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the people of Israel, they saw the outward expression of the spirit of God in Joshua's life and his obedience to God. They saw how he lived. They saw how he lived his life. And because of that, the Lord did great works through Joshua. 
And the people of Israel all saw the great works. They saw what was done through Joshua. And because of that, they served the Lord all the days of, the, of Joshua and all of the elders as well. So when Joshua, he dies at the age of about 110 years old, it says, they buried him in the mountains of Ephraim, and that was his inheritance. But one thing is for sure, he left a great impact and a great influence on the generation that he had because he was what? Faithful to God. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, hey, if I die tonight, how am I going to leave an impact on my own family? How am I going to leave an impact on my own generation? What are they going to say about me at my funeral site? They're going to say I live for God or I live for what? Sports or I live for something else. I wanted somebody to say, hey, this guy was a man of God for myself and I live for the Lord Jesus and I was willing to give my life for him. That's why I want somebody to say about me. So always think about that. How am I going to leave? If I die tonight, how am I going to be portrayed? What's my family's going to say about me? Am I just being phony at, at home? I go at home, I do my own thing. I, you know, drink, smoke, cuss, and I come here, put on a religious front. I don't want that for myself. True heart and true relationship with God is what I want. So again, we can take this right here as Joshua's influence that he had on the people. Take it as a practical application because we need to remember that there are people in our lives that we have a sphere of influence over. There are many people who are watching our life, many people who know that we're a Christian person who claims to follow God. And we may not even know that someone's watching us, either at work or even at home. But they're watching us to do what? To see if my faith is real. If what I'm saying is real, do I believe what I, I, I'm preaching to others or going to church and telling others about Christ, if it's real or not? And they want to see, too, how I handle the ups and downs of life, how I handle the good times and how I handle the bad times. And they're watching us. And why? Because this is the key thing right here. Because they know that we claim to be a believer. They claim, we claim to be a follower of Christ. And so they want to see how we're going to react to the problems and stresses and hardships of life. They're watching to see if we're going to react like the world reacts. Am I going to give into the alcohol? Am I going to give into the drinking? Or am I going to get into drugs or watch pornography because I'm going through a stressful time in my life? I'm going to go cut some people out. Or am I going to react by faith, seeking out the Lord, believing his promises, believing what he's told me? Am I going to trust him through this trial? Like I said, people are looking to see if your faith is real and that your God is real and that you trust the Lord. This is something I wrote, too, and I want to say this right here. There's a huge difference between quoting Scripture and quoting it to other people versus when you actually have to live out those Scriptures and trust God. There's a major difference between that. And I'll say that one more time. There's a huge difference between quoting Scripture to people and quoting it to everybody else versus when you're actually living them out and you have to trust God through those times. Because the Scriptures do what? They come to life then. Because you have to live that out. Because people are looking for someone who has real faith, someone they can turn to, someone they can be inspired by, especially now in the times that we live in. We live in a wicked times. You can see it all around us. So they're looking for, hey, is, my, is this man's faith real? How's this guy doing in the midst of these problems? We see all the wars and the rumors of wars going on. We see what's happening in Israel. We see the homosexuality going on in the nation. We see the LGBTQ and their agenda. And you know what? People are getting scared out there. People are afraid. So they want to know, how am I living? Am I living in fear as a believer? Because I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be at all. The Lord said what? He'll take care of me. Never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. So I got to bring that hope for others. So looking at verses uh, 10 through 13 of Judges chapter 2. Grab some water real quick. Feels a little hot in here tonight. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> 
Looking at verses 10 through 13 of Judges chapter 2, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. So what happens now right here is that Joshua and the elders during his time have all now died. They've all passed on. And now a new generation of people has grown up and arises. And as the scripture says, these people, this generation, they don't know the Lord or the work that had been done in Israel previously. And that's a sad truth. But it's a, it's a real truth, though, because rarely does a powerful work of God continue into the second generation. That's just true. Rarely does that happen. Because what happens most of the time, the new generation feels that they're entitled to whatever they have. And they begin to take advantage of the things of God and the blessings of God and what he's given them through their parents. And with them taking the, for granted the blessings of God, the new generation doesn't know about the battles that took place beforehand. They don't know what it took to enter the promised land. They, they, don't, they didn't experience or know about what happened in Egypt or how the nation was delivered out of slavery. This new generation never experienced that. They, just didn't, they didn't experience the pain, the hardship, the suffering. And they don't even seem to know why they're even in the land these days in the first place. And because they don't understand, it seems like they don't even care. They don't even care. And because they carry around that type of attitude, they forsake the Lord. They look at the other nations around them and says, hey, you know what? I want to be like that. Why can we not be like this? Not understanding that those things got the people previously kicked out of the land. And so what happens? They get into the idol worship. They get into the practices of the nations around them. And again, here's something practical for us to even stand to understand right now ourselves. When you have a person who's been through the struggles and trials of life and you come from a background where you know, they grow up not knowing the Lord and you, you live a lifestyle of abusing alcohol or abusing drugs or just being violent and then you hit rock bottom one day, but one day you come to faith in Christ Jesus and he changes your life around. He sets you free from the vices that you previously had. That person right there is usually sold out for God afterwards. They are. They desire to serve the Lord all the days of your life. And when the Lord begins to bless that person, let's say they get married later on and they have kids. And as they're raising their kids in the Lord, their, their children are getting older, let's say like teenage years or even adult years. Sometimes their children can't figure out why their mom or dad think it's so important to serve the Lord and why it's important to go to church and study his word and share with others. Because they, sometimes I'll even hear this man, these parents aren't doing this. How come you're doing this? Why are you making me go to church? Why are you making me do this? So they don't have that understanding. The children don't understand because they never knew the old person that you were. They didn't see that person. They, didn't, they, didn't, they only knew you as coming to faith in Christ and who you are now. They didn't see you as one that was violent or a partier or, or, or getting into fights all the time or a drunkard or, or someone who got arrested or you know, sleeping around or whatever. They only see you now as the Lord set you free. And you're saying, hey, you know what? We need to seek the Lord. And it's hard for them to even understand that. And because the Lord has done a great work in your life and just cleaning you up and freeing you from sin, you love much. That's what happens. You love much. Because like the scripture says, he who's been forgiven much, what? Loves much. You love the Lord with everything that you have and your desire now is to serve him because of what he's done in your life. 
But those who haven't experienced that, those who have never had that in their life, those who've never gone through those struggles and trials of life, and they've never, like I said, experienced that, they're not going to understand those things. And they're going to take those things for granted for what the Lord's given you. And it's pretty sad at times, too, because you see a nation like that, a generation that grows up not understanding the things of God. And one thing, too, is I was studying this. On the other hand, it seems as if the parents didn't teach their children, the next generation, the statues and ordinances of God. So it seems to be a failure on the parents' part as well to teach the children about the Lord and teach them about the great works of God. Somehow they failed to communicate the power and the work of God to their children. And a nation that fails to teach the children, the generation, the works of God, to, and to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength, it's going to create a generation that doesn't recognize him as Lord. And it's going to create a generation that is just lawless, one that has a debased mind. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. The parents failed to teach and impart the truths of God to their children, and they ended up with children who didn't know the Lord or didn't even care to know the Lord. And we need to remember this, that as parents, there's a great responsibility put on us by God for raising our children and teaching them the things of God. Over and over again, the Lord told the nation of Israel to teach the children the statutes and the principles of God. And we see that over and over in Scripture. And one of the scriptures is Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's verses 4 through 9. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that's pretty powerful right there. That's one of the memory scriptures I actually did with my children since the time when they were little. Is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6, about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And I try to impart that to my children. And it's so important because the Lord is saying, hey, you know what? Don't be a failure as a parent. Don't do that. Teach them the things about God. Teach them the things about me. That's what the Lord is saying. So again, right here, we see that this is not only just for the nation of Israel, it's for us as what? A church today, right? We need to do that. Impart those things to our children. And there's a huge responsibility, like I said, to teach our children the word of God. Because one of the original intentions of marriage from the Lord was for what? One man and one woman for a lifetime. And in that marriage union, it would produce what? Offspring or children. And if you look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord speaks about the union that's produced in marriage, which is children. And God says this about this, and it's Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, if you're taking notes. But he said, but did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. God desires for us in marriage, and if we have children for a marriage, is that we are to raise godly offspring, godly children. And that basically means this, children from a marriage that will bring glory to God. That's what we're supposed to raise. That's what we're to do as parents. We're to teach them the things of God. But you're not going to raise godly children if you're, doing, if you're walking in compromise or if you're living a fake or phony life out there at home and you're not doing the things of God, but still coming to church and, like I said, putting on a religious front. Children are going to see right through that. They're going to see that. They're going to know that the faith is not real. And you're going to raise a generation of people who don't want to seek after the Lord because of another person's behavior and what they saw. That's what's going to happen. I've seen that many times over. And on my, my 
Growing up myself, I didn't really get along with my father, but he was devoted Catholic. But me and him got into fist fights at times, and he would curse at times, and he was kind of verbally and physically abusive towards me. So even later on in my life, I had to go take what I think they were called like CCD classes or catechism classes. But I didn't even care about that. I would go and not even you know leave the campus of the church and do whatever I want. But it was all religious front. It's like, hey, you're doing these things to me, and I can care less about what you're talking about. Faith is not real. God is not real. I got to the point where I hated God myself and I wanted nothing to do with any type of church and nothing to do with Jesus just because I saw what the religious stuff that was taking place at home. It's like, you're telling me one thing when you're doing another. So it had that type of impact on me. And I was like, you know what? I don't even believe in God anymore. I see you and it's like, there's no point to believe in God. So, but later on, the Lord got a hold of me myself. And I realized later it was a relationship that Christ Jesus, that you need with the Lord. So again, like I said, don't be fake. Don't be that way at home. And don't neglect the spiritual aspects of your children's life. Don't do that. These, the nation right here failed to discipline them and to teach them the spiritual things of God. And it had consequences. It had the consequences on the children of the next generation where they had no love for God. And this is also repeated in the New Testament. So some people may say, well, this is only Old Testament stuff. No, this is also repeated in the New Testament. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So right here, there's a tremendous responsibility put on the father to train up their children and teach them about the things of God. And why? Because fathers have a tremendous influence on their children, even in a way that mothers don't. Mothers are a blessing to their children. Don't get me wrong, they are. But fathers, they have a tremendous responsibility in that aspect. Fathers play a major role in a, in a child's life that no one else can fulfill. And I even saw that a lot out there, too, when I was working in law enforcement. I had to respond to a lot of calls for service. And there'd be a lot of broken homes, a lot of families with no father in the home. And the children would be broken hearted. I'm like, hey, man, where's your father? Well, man, my father hasn't been around in years. Or if he is there, who, you know, he's not a part of my life. So fathers play a major role in the influence of a child that no one else can fulfill. And as men, like I said, we have a huge responsibility before God and to our children and to our family to bring them up and teach our kids the ways of God. This is something I understand as a man myself and something that I know that the Lord held me accountable as a man, and that's something that we need to do. We don't realize our influence on our children as men. People don't realize that. They don't realize how powerful it is, how impactful it is. And I know my children myself, because I have about three children, including my son, and I know they're watching me, and I know they're looking to see how I handle things. I know that. They're watching me to see, you know what, am I really seeking God and doing what he says in his word? Or is it all lip service? Am I fake? Am I, or am I just putting on, like I said, a religious front? And then going home or cussing everybody out, manhandling my wife and kids and verbally or physically abusing my family and, and living in a way that doesn't glorify God whatsoever? Or am I a father who bails out on my family because times are tough? Or am I a father who just chose to do, you know what, I'm at home, but I'm really not there. I, work has taken over as a priority. And here's something to think about. Just because you're a father living in the home doesn't mean you're present in the home or in the life of your family. You could be at home the whole time with your family, but your mind could be somewhere else. It could be completely somewhere else. And you have no interest in the family or engaging in spiritual things with the family whatsoever, and you're just off doing your own thing. 
You have to be involved in your family's life as a father. That's very important. We need a generation of men to step up. And that's what's happened a lot out there is men have abandoned the home. And it breaks my heart when I even think about it. And I think men, like I said, they don't understand how important of an influence they play on their family, if their wife and their children. They need to see us as men who worship God and serve the Lord. That's what they need to see us as. And one other thing, too, I was looking at this, why the nation went astray, why the children didn't seek the Lord. And one thing I want to point out is the celebration of the religious holidays. Because the nation had the celebration as the Passover. They were supposed to do what? They were supposed to teach that to their children, right? And they're supposed to showcase and celebrate the power of God and delivering them from Egypt. Because that was the purpose of the Passover. And that was supposed to be what? A yearly thing, right? To show his power, to show his deliverance and what he has done for them and bringing them out of slavery. But again, that was not done. And what else happened? It became what? Just another religious holiday. Just another yearly remembrance. And it, and it had really no meaning. There was no meaning behind it. And it reminds me, even as I was studying this, it reminds me of America today. A nation that's supposed to seek God and celebrate the things of God as a Christian nation. But when you look at it and you get what? You have Christmas and Easter that comes around, right? Resurrection Day. What do you see? House parties going on, people getting drunk, people getting wasted. It, starts, it stops becoming about the celebration of the birth of the Messiah. It stops becoming about that. It starts becoming about what? Buying merchandise, commercialism. The whole meaning is lost. It's about Santa Claus now. Everything is lost. And people are doing what? They have the house parties, they gather with families, and now they're just drinking large amounts of alcohol, getting wasted, and there's no real meaning or purpose behind it. The purpose of the celebration is lost. And I even remember, too, when I was on patrol and I'd be working as a sheriff, I'd be working on these days, especially Easter or Christmas. And I still remember one Christmas. It was pretty bad out there. Um, I got called in earlier to work, to work that day, and I remember it was because someone had taken a baby and they had thrown him in the trash can and the baby was dead. And I got called into work early that day. And then there was a robbery that happened on that day too in Christmas. And then there was another assault that happened. And even later on, as I was working that evening, got called to a family function. And what was going on over there? Family was drinking, getting violent with each other. Some guy punched out another dude in his family. And that's what was going on with Christmas. So the meaning can become lost at times. I mean, it can be what? Meaningless, right? Just another holiday. But the point I'm trying to make is that the parents of the nation, they didn't pass on or impart the truths of God's word to their children. And even the religious celebrations such as, such as Passover, they became meaningless. It was a godless nation, a nation that did not fear or keep God's commandments. And I fear as America, we were already headed down that route. Because you can see a lot of the similarities between Israel and America. And I'm not saying America is Israel. I'm not saying that at all. But you see a nation that's gone that way. A nation that said they've been built on biblical principles and they've now gone the other way. So it's sad to see the nation tearing itself apart. So looking at verses 11 through 13 of Judges chapter 2, it says this. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the bowels. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asherites. So when it says the people of Israel forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asherites, 
This means that they made a habit of these things. They made a practice of these worships of these gods because Baal and Asherah were the gods of the Canaanites and the Phoenicia people. Because Baal, the god Baal was the storm god and he was usually depicted, you know, holding the, like a raised lightning bolt. But because Baal was supposed to cause people and the things to become fertile in the land. And Asherah, the god Asherah was known by several names, including like Asherim as well, and also known by the Greek uh, god named Astarte. The god was supposed to be the queen of heaven as well as the moon god. And Asherah represented and was known as like the god of fertility, sexual love, and war. And how the people would worship Asherah was that they would take like a limbless trunk. They would take a tree trunk that was limbless, cut off the limbs, and they would just bury it into the ground. And the trunk was then carved, not buried into the ground, but they would have it standing straight up. And the trunk was usually carved in like a symbolic image representing the goddess. So because of the association with the carved trees, the, the place of Asherah worship, which were commonly called groves, and you'll see that a lot in the Old Testament. The, the nation of Israel never took away the groves or the high places. You see that a lot. It's referred to that in a lot in the um, book of Kings when you're reading that. And how they would perform acts of worship to Baal and Asherah, it involved ritual prostitution and sexual perversion by the priest and by the priestess of Asherah and Baal. And it also included homosexuality. Then they also practiced divination, which included drug usage and fortune telling. And it also involved like self-torture and mutilation to the body, you know, cutting yourself with sharp instruments. So these were the sinful like practices of, of Baal and Asherah. And like I said, they would also have like sexual orgies as well outside of marriage. And because of these, this is taking place, what would happen is what? Unwanted pregnancies. And what would happen with the unwanted pregnancies is that they would take the child and they would sacrifice it to the God later. And this is no different than what I even thought was taking place today by the sin of abortion. People out there are doing what? They have no fear of God. They go around, they sleep with somebody, get pregnant. Let me go and abort the baby because I don't want to take responsibility now. It's no different than from serving these gods right here. It's no different from what's taking place in America, even in our own country. These practices are still continued today. I mean, I was even researching this too, and I was looking at America, and I saw that America was number one in the country or in the nations of the world as hosting internet pornography and producing pornography. And it had one of the highest abortion rates of the nations of the world. So it, it was pretty sad to even see that. And you can even see that, even divination. People think, well, that's not taking place anymore. That takes place all the time. Divination is also what they refer to as sorcery. So it's drug usage. So you're trying to induce a spirit or, or a god by using drugs and doing whatever you can so you can get high and have uh, an inter interaction with that type of god. I even had a neighbor at one point that had sought out a medium. I still remember this. I was talking with her, and she said that her son had died, her adult son had died. And she was like, hey, I sought this medium to, I don't even know why she was talking to me about it, because I wanted to know about my son and where he went, because he was in his late 40s. And then when she was telling me that, I asked her, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And I was like, really? I, 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 the Lord has said in his word, we're not to seek mediums or spiritists, so I don't know why you're doing this. this is against God's word. And I straight out told her, I said, if you have any questions that you want to ask the Lord about your son, you should go to him. Go to the Lord. Don't go to a spiritist or a medium. But this is still practice today. You can drive out of here now in Corona, go down the street and find what? Fortune teller or something like that. You see that all over the place in the, in the United States. But again, here's the thing that we need to look at. 
the nation itself, it, I look at America, it's tearing itself apart too. There's so many similarities. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of shootings. There's a lot of killings. There's a lot of that. And like I said, I even took my father one time on a ride along with me as a sheriff. And I, it was in Victorville, it was many years ago, about 2011. And I took him on a ride along and I was working the night shift at the time. And he was like, I just want to check it out, um, see how everything's going. So he came with me and we went on a ride along that night. And you know, first uh, call off the bat was a domestic violence call. This guy was trying to um, hurt his girlfriend who, who bore him a child chasing her out of the jack-in-the-box because he was high as a kite. He was talking about, I'm going to kill you. So I remember getting there, and I saw this guy chasing her in the street. So I had to stop the car right away, and I jumped out. And he, he didn't even see me because he was so high, so asphyxiated fi uh, on trying to get her, trying to kill her. So I remember I had to grab that guy, and I ended up slamming him onto the car, and I put him in the cuffs. And then I ended up taking him in the jail for you know, domestic violence and also criminal threats. And then the second thing we had to do was a burglary in progress. Someone was stealing. We had a carjacking later that night. And then it was about one in the morning, you know, everything was going on all night. I still remember this one story. It was about one in the morning. And the lady, she had a baby with her. She's about two years old. I couldn't even do anything about it, but she was kicked out of a motel and she had her boyfriend with her. And you could tell this guy was high, but they were like, hey, they just kicked me out of the motel. What am I gonna do for my baby? What am I gonna do for this? And I'm like, I can't help you. I'm sorry. You, you can't do drugs in the motel. So my, after that, I had to leave. My father said he was so disturbed to the core. He was like, hey, take me home. I can't be out here. This is, this is getting to me. He started like tearing up. So he left and he, he told me to take him back to the station. I remember dropping him off. I took off. I still had to continue my shift because I was only about one in the morning. I had to work all the way to seven at night. So he was so disturbed to the core. He said there was no hope. He said, I felt like there was no hope for anybody anymore out there. And I said, you know what? There is hope. I remember telling him later, there's always hope in Christ Jesus. So that's what we need to remember. But you can see a nation when it goes astray, it acts that way. It acts the way, and you see those things out there. I saw him a lot as a, as a law enforcement officer, unfortunately. Because like I said, you have a generation that don't fear God or the things that are taught. And they're going to make a God in their own image, own likeness. And they're going to pick and choose what they want for their God. And they're going to disregard the things of the Lord. And even as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, it says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And what does that mean? It's like, what does that mean right there? It means we have a nation of people who believe in God and, or some form of God, but they worship in the way they want. They make a God out of their own image. And what they do is they deny the moral principles taught in the Bible or the things said in the word and again, it's a God made up to fit how they live, their lifestyle. And as a nation of people, we've gotten into that practice and habit where even Israel fell as well. And because of this behavior, we see the result in Judges 14 and 15 of chapter 2. And it says this, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So right here, because of the immoral behavior of the nation of Israel, and because of their evil practice, they did what? They provoked the Lord to anger. And not just anger, but it says that the Lord's anger was hot against them for these practices. And what that word hot anger means, it speaks of rage. It speaks of hostile, aggressive anger. 
And it's basically what is being said right here is that God is extremely angry with them and he's upset because of these practices, these worship, these behaviors. He's taken an active stance to oppose these things because, again, what? It was sexually immoral behavior. It was child sacrifice. It was a lot of evil that was taking place. And it was all morally wrong. And so what also, too, when it talks about calamity in verse 15 of uh, Judges chapter 2, when it speaks of calamity, it says, Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. The word calamity speaks of like sudden distress or misery caused by a major disaster or damage. And so basically everywhere the people went, everywhere the nation of Israel went, everything they did, whether it was working or going out to war or another nation or just gathering wheat in a field or even just basically living their own life, because they forsook the Lord and they practiced the behavior of the nations around them, God's hand was against them in everything that they did because they didn't uh, follow his commandments. They didn't keep his statutes. And so their enemies came upon them and they stole from them and they impressed them and they afflicted them. Because when you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, when you read that full chapter, you're going to see that blessings are laid out for the people of Israel if you follow his commandments. And there are also curses and repercussions that are also laid out as well for not following his commandments. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25, it says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways from their presence, and you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And that's what happened during the time of the judges. And this is something to remember, too. It's not that God is cursing the nation or he's cursing the people. That's not it at all. That's not what's happening at all. What he's saying and what is happening is that if you choose to live in this manner of the nations around you, if you choose that lifestyle, if you choose that path, that path right there in itself is cursed. It's not the people are cursed or the individual. That path is cursed. If you decide to go do your own thing and walk down that path, that's a cursed path. And these things are going to come upon you. And why, why does he say that? Because it's against the things that the, the Lord says how you're supposed to live. So we got to ask yourself a practical application. How am I living before God? What am I doing? Am I struggling in my own life? Am I taking a step back so to see how I'm living? Am I walking in compromise in any type of way? Because some people may say, you know what? That's Old Testament stuff. I can live how I want. God knows my heart. It's all about what? Grace. It's all about grace in the New Testament. His grace covers everything. It's okay for me to, you know, cheat on my wife or do some sort of type of evil or do whatever I want. It's not. It's not Okay. Because like, there's a universal law that's put in place that whatever a man sows, that he shall what? Also reap. So don't ever forget that. And whenever we decide to go out on our own, whenever we decide to do things outside the will of God, the Lord will lift his hand of protection from us. Just like you see with the nation of Israel. I'm almost out of time, so I'm going to hurry this up. The people didn't know the Lord, and even the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, he says, Listen, heavens, and hear earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And also in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 7, Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove the the swallow and the crane to keep their time of migration. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. And right here, this is sad to see because the Lord is saying in these passages, an animal has more understanding. An animal has more reason to recognize their master and to be obedient than this nation does. 
And that's sad when the Lord says that about people. But that's true at times. People who like to do what? Their own free will. They like to go their own wicked way. And it's a sad thing that happens. And when you think about this too, this type of principle is repeated in the New Testament. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because it's easy for us to do what? Go to Bible studies like this or go to church and hear these things that are being taught. And after the study is over and say, hey, you know what? I've been built up in the things of God. I've been taught the things of God. And this spoke to me in the study. And then afterwards, leave the study and go to your job or go to your home and not do a single thing that was taught or not put into practice whatever was taught. It's easy to do that. And you're doing nothing but deceiving yourself. And you're thinking that you have a right standing with God because you attended a Bible study. We need to put into action what we've been taught and what we've learned and not deceive ourselves. We need to be someone who understands the things of God and does the things of God. We need to put into practice what the Lord has taught us and not just make it lip service. Because there's too many people out there who hear God's word, but they don't put it into practice, as I said. And because of that, the next generation of God's people, they're not taught the ways of God. They're not taught the fear of God. And as a result, you get a lawless nation, a nation that forgets about God and that's given over to violence and sexual perversion. They're just doing what they think is good for them. May we not be that people. May we walk in the ways of God. May we teach our children the things of God for the next generation until the Lord takes us home. May he empower us with his spirit to do so. And may the Holy Spirit, just like I said, give us the strength to teach the next generation. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words tonight. We know it was some heavy words, but they're words from you. May we put into practice, Lord, what we've heard. And may we love you with all our heart, soul, and strength, teaching the next generation about you, Lord. Whatever time we may have left, whatever time you appointed us to come home, but may we do so. May we be occupying until um, you've come, teaching, like I said, Lord, the next generation. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit, empower us to do so, Lord, for you've not left us without a helper. So we just want to love you, Lord. We just want to honor you. We just want to praise you in all things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.